The Bartender Ramp Podcast is powered by CIC Powerbox, your all-in-one portable power solution for commercial and residential projects, roadside assistance, or personal recreation. Call us at 802-468-7697 or visit CICPowerbox.com. CIC Powerbox, wherever you go, go with power. Welcome to the Bartender Rant Podcast. I am your host, Steve Haley, and I'm back. I am back. We are back. That is right. Uh, with a fantastic special edition of this show. Very excited to bring back uh, a wonderful guest, Barbara Sloan, who joined us for the full Monty, the gauntlet, the drinkton, the cocktail history. Um, she was an incredible guest. With, with over 20 years in the service industry and some amazing stories for us. But she's back to now share with us a little bit about her book, Tipped Finance, um, which is a guide for service industry personnel, anybody that is a, a tipped employee, how to really start planning for financial wellness, how to start thinking about those next steps, um, not just in your career um, financially, but also just in your life. Uh, it's something that this industry is woefully lacking and, and we need to have a greater consciousness uh, about. So very excited to talk to her a little bit about her book and about why she feels this is so important. Um, I know for Mike and I that this is uh, something near and dear to our heart as we talk about growing this community, um, legitimizing the service experience and uh, starting to bring greater respect to. It. And I think part of that is for us to to take a more serious approach um, with, with how we look at our careers. So without further ado, my fantastic co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, Michael Windsor. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day out. How are you guys it doing? It sure is. I'll tell you what, these outdoor <laughs> Kansas backgrounds with the birds chirping and, uh, your little cabin right on the bluff of the, of the lake. It's the it's cottage. The, it's the cozy cottage. It is. And and I'll yeah. tell you, you, you look magnificent in this light. You really do. Thank you. Handsome and regal and stately. <laughs> All um, right. You know, I, uh, I, I'm very excited to get into this episode. And, you know, it, uh, I kind of teased that this is near and dear to our heart. You and I both, um, in some ways, have, have taken steps to um, invest in our financial future. Uh, through property. You are building this this beautiful endeavor with the hill where you and our good friend Justin are, um, you know, erecting these cabins, renting them out for Airbnbs um, and kind of kind of using this little plot of land that you guys have gone into um, as an investment property. Myself, I'm a landlord. I got a couple rental properties. I got tenants. I, uh, I I've learned the struggles over the last couple of years of of trying to grow wealth, um, you know, outside maybe some of what we think of as the traditional ways, which is working a double. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that. But Mike, um, what are you most excited for to get into with Barbara and her book before we introduce her? Because I I'm just excited. I'm I'm just excited to talk about how this industry is being more legitimized. Um, but anything in particular, as far as uh, just financial, um, you know, clarity or just planning that you're interested in. 
Well, I'm, I'm interested to get into all of it because there's even information in here that I'm not very well versed in that's helped me kind of plan, even though I'm not in the service industry anymore, plan for that a little bit better. Honestly, what I'm excited to do is I love that Barbara came on first and did the gauntlet with us because as you're reading through this book, there's she's a little a mention. There's she, a little. She's a, she's a true service industry pro. I mean, she's going to come on and give us the goods, right? Like give us all of the skinny on her experience and the crazy stories. And then she's like, you know what? I gave you your candy. Now you got to eat your medicine. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and I, and I love that. Yeah, no, I, I just love that. As you, uh, as you read through some of this, there's like a little mention of something that isn't fully explained, like dropping an expensive bottle of wine. I, I immediately think, Oh, that's the snakeskin shoe guy. Like, you know, so I love that we got some deeper context uh, for the book and it's it made it more enjoyable and more fun uh, to read through it and, and get into some of these really important financial uh, uh, concepts and, and yeah ideas, and, you, so. and you've mentioned to it as we've been just discussing the book it's uh it's um you know she writes with such uh, a direct approach it feels like you're talking to your bartender who's giving you some good advice it, it really um, does it's very yeah. genuine and 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 direct and um I, when you have those stories that we've now heard the background of, it makes it feel very organic. But I do, I do, I do have a bone to pick with her. So once you introduce okay. her, we can get into that. All right, well, this is perfect because I, I don't want to sit here and keep teasing. We need to bring her in. We're not going to waste as much time on uh, as we do on other shows, um, guys. If you listen along, thank you so much. We appreciate you supporting the show. I'm not going to give you any other plugs other than listen to the end. Mike and I will do an outro and we'll show you all the ways you can support us and all the ways you can support Barbara Sloan and her wonderful book. Um, please, please, we beg of you, give this the time it's due. Um, it could be a turning point in your financial future or maybe somebody that you know in the service industry. So um, very excited to get into it. Without further ado, guys, Barbara Sloan, welcome to the show. Steve, Again. Mike, I'm so <laughs> pumped to be back. Thanks for having me. Yes. Of course. How was your uh, How was your spa day? Oh, my God. So, so good. <laughs> After spending three hours with us, most guests probably deserve a spa day. Uh, one day, at some point in the future, when this pod has gone to the moon, and we have the financial uh, uh, strength to just, like, hand money out willy-nilly, that's what we'll do. We'll give people a spa day, a full care package. Okay, none of this. Put up with us. I'm not. Uh, I'm not agreeing to any of this. This is not on the record. Mike, we Steve have to speaking we hyperbolically. Have to reinvest in our guests. That's that's key, Mike. You got to maybe a shirt. I don't know if we're gonna fund a spa day, but anyway. Or a copy of my book. There, there you is. go. There it is. It's so great to have you back on, and um, uh, I'm I'm really excited to do this, and I appreciate you being so benevolent with your time. Um. What are you most, you know, excited about to uh, get into today? I know that's a big question because you talk about your book a lot. You're interviewed about it a lot. But what is the thing that uh, when the topic of this book and helping service industry people comes up, what is that that fire that lights inside of you? Where does where's the core of that passion? I mean, I think right now what's lighting me up so much is this book was just named one of the top five personal finance books to read for 2023 by Forbes magazine. Like when I wrote this book, I was like, this is so niche. Like who's going to read this book, right? right? Like <laughs> nobody who's in our industry gives a shit about talking about personal finance. Like I thought it was going to just like fall into obscurity and that all of my passions would like fall down the drain with it. And the <laughs> fact that it is not only 
Like I'm having these really rich conversations with people in the industry who care, but it is getting mainstream attention. And like yeah. the fact that that's happening shows me that we're onto something, that these are resources that are, that are important and that people are starting to recognize that. Yeah. People are starved for it. And uh, if you didn't believe that she had 20 plus years in the service industry, that self-deprecating uh, uh, feeling about uh, who's going to read this and why would anybody in the service business even talk about this? That is proof that you've been in this business because only a bartender can be that self-deprecating. But well, and then additionally, even more impressively, this is your self-published as well, correct? Incredible. Yes. Isn't that yes. crazy? And that was just, that was very important to me because part of what I'm trying to do is tell people that you can do things in a non-traditional way and still have success. You can work in this non-traditional career and still have financial success. And I wanted to eat my own cookie and say, you know what? I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to compromise anything about what I want to put in this thing. It's going to be a conversation between me and you exactly how it should be unfiltered by like, you know, the, the, the big wigs at the publishing houses. And yeah. And, and the fact that I am having that success is just like it, it speaks to the fact that like these conversations are so rich and so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and congratulations on the success. And like, like you said, you did, th this just kind of happened. Like you didn't, you, you even got a message from somebody telling you that it was listed in Forbes, correct? Yeah. I had no idea. They were like, I didn't hey, know that. I make sure. they were like, Hey, I wanted to make sure you saw this. And I was like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> the problem though, this was the type of thing that you like petition or you submit. For, exactly. Yeah. For review this. I, I had no idea. So this was like a, just an afternoon surprise. Somebody gave you a call. Yeah. I mean, I'm... like, honestly, my pitching is like to talk to people like you. That's who I want to talk to. Cause I'm like, who in our industry is reading Forbes? <laughs> like, <laughs> good point. No good offense. Point. It's a huge honor. I'm, I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed and honored by it, but like, no, I, yeah. th I think it does. It speaks to exactly what you're saying, that this is a, a this huge portion of the population that is typically left out of this conversation. And I think that's it, it's just incredible. So congratulations on your success. And I, like you said, I think it's just obvious that the mainstream is picking it up because we were just talking about this before we got in. But how many service employees are there in the United States? In the U.S., there's over 5.5 million people working solely on a tip-based income, yeah. right? Canada, there's over 6 million people, right? We're talking about a global, you know, culture that has millions and millions of people who are part of this. And in the U.S. alone, it's the second largest employment sector. So we aren't talking as much as it feels like we're in this niche career. Mm -hmm. There are serious numbers behind it. Mm -hmm. that's a great jumping off point barbara um we have this huge labor base and it's not just in the u.s it's abroad where these workers it's not even just that they're you know there isn't a consciousness about what they can do to uh have fine sound financial planning they're not even part of the wealth building uh um professionals right like it's almost you know it's one of the reasons people say hey is this the all you do or do you have another job right where the service business in some way or tipped employees are illegitimized um it starts in that uh, uncomfortable interaction at the bar but it goes deeper into getting loans and getting mortgages and applying for uh credit cards and all these other financial uh components that we just don't talk about enough and we're going to get into all that we're going to unpack it but i think we should start uh, by talking a little bit about your service industry experience, kind of what has brought you to here and what inspired you to write books. Tell us a little bit about how you got 
first ever started in the service business. Yeah. So like many people, I had a bunch of jobs during high school. I think I mentioned this in our first episode, but I was a paper girl mm-hmm. at the age of 10. And I remember like getting that holiday tip money and I was kind of probably addicted to it from, from the get. And, uh, you know, during high school, I worked a bunch of jobs and then I moved to California when I was 20 and I went full time into the industry. I was in a really bad financial position. I was in a ton of debt and that was my way of like getting instant access to cash that nobody could take from me. And so, you know, over the span of 20 years, I was a bartender. I was a waitress. I was a go-go dancer. I was a stripper. I was a fetish performer. I was a sideshow showgirl. I was a circus performer. I was a flair bartender. I was a pole dancer, cater waiter. I mean, you name it. If it involved tips, I probably did it. And I worked all over the country. I worked in Los Angeles. I worked in Las Vegas. I worked in New York City. I worked in Boston. I worked in Detroit. I'm in New York now. Um, so it's not just, you know, that I had one place where I experienced, I worked in across the industry in many different types of cities in many different states. Um, and so for me, the aha moment behind the book, the first one was probably consciously in 2013. I moved to New York City with my wife, had like 700 bucks in my pocket and I got two jobs. The first was I was working nights at a bar called Coyote Ugly. And then I I know I remember some of these stories. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I was working in the daytime on Wall Street for an unregulated market. And so this was part trading floor, part independent sales organization. They were selling like usurious loan products, like loan sharking, essentially. And for me, this was a huge education on the markets, on predatory lending, the ugly side of financial services, watching them go after like small business owners and you know, people who are already in debt, like it was, it was gross. And watching after the third trader got shipped off to rehab, I was like, I need to go back to bars and construction because this is, this is toxic and really ugly. And so I ended up getting a day job at the construction company that I now own. I was employee number three and I was tasked with the job of setting up an HR department along with the accounting and finance. And I had no fucking clue what HR did. So like I I had no idea what an HR person was supposed to do, how they helped the employee. I had no idea what a 401k was. I had maybe had health insurance once. I didn't know what coinsurance or deduct. Like I didn't know how to set up these policies or any of this stuff. And not to mention, right. If if you're starting a job you've never done before, it's pretty daunting that it's like the corporate governance, you know, compliance based role where you're like looking out for people's like healthcare and you know, paychecks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know what a PTO policy was or how yeah. to manage or any of this stuff. So anyway, I'm deep diving. I'm Googling a ton. I'm learning all about these financial safety nets that are helping these employees. And then on the other side, I'm working for these really high net worth clients. We're talking heiress level wealth. And I'm getting to have conversations with them daily about how they view money, about trade-offs, mm. about their mindset. And my aha moment was just like, oh, it's these financial safety nets and this financial awareness and mindset and strategy around money that my people, my industry were missing. And this is the reason that none of us have been able to build wealth. And then, so like that was sort of like the first ideas for the book. And then in 2016, we all know what was happening politically. 
Um, and I just couldn't stomach the news cycle at all. I was just like, I'm done with all of it. I shut everything off, like total media blackout. And I just started reading personal finance books. I'm like, I'm going to use this time to make some positive changes in my own life. I'm just going to listen and read. So I ingested thousands and thousands of hours of personal finance content. And I never saw anybody who looked like me. I never saw in, in the thousands of interviews, in the thousands of questions and guests and never saw somebody who worked in the service industry. As I started to listen to the same recycled questions of how do I budget based off of my income? How do I get the employer match? How do I negotiate my salary? I was like, none of this is applicable. Our financial lives look totally different and we need specialized advice. And in hundred years that financial services has existed, nobody is talking to our industry. And I was like, this, yeah. this is unacceptable. And so at first I had a ton of imposter syndrome. I was like, it can't be me, right? Like I don't have a college degree. I don't have any of these letters after my name. I don't have any credentials. I don't know how to fuck. Like I didn't have resources or connections or language or a platform or anything. And I was like, can't be me. And also like, I've only worked 20 different types of service-based jobs. Surely there's someone out there who's worked 40. I've only worked in a half a dozen states. Surely there's somebody who's worked globally who should be right. the person. Right, of course. Like, just imposter syndrome on imposter syndrome. There has to be a Harvard-educated bartender just sitting around <laughs> waiting to write this book, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. I'll wait for them to do it. You know what's, um, so, in what's so interesting, though, about this timing, right? Like, timeline-wise, uh, is you've already jumped over like seven other imposter syndrome hurdles at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've come in and out of all these different service-based businesses. You have bootstrapped together like an HR department <laughs> keep an accounting team for a construction company. You've been, you know, you've seen the dirty side of wall street. Um, at we're bartenders. We know how to bullshit our way into right. We're talking about what we're doing. We're talking about our first episode, uh, failing forward, right? Absolutely. Yep. So there you go. And and the juxtaposition you mentioned there of seeing those uh, traders, you know, one after another go to rehab. I I want to see a little more disrespect for professional industries. And here's what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. There is this impression that every bartender, server, busboy out there is just getting loaded is messed up and sure, we talk a lot about mental health and substance sure. abuse and self-medicating in this business. It's a problem. Maybe if we were more financially conscious and thought we had a future, we wouldn't be living like, living like rock stars. So that's why I think this conversation is so important. But at the same time, for every bartender that is getting loaded, there is a Tom, Dick and Harry putting on a tie, going to their office and they have, they're dealing with the exact same things. It's just, they have access to some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we're hopefully going to be able to change with resources like tip finance. So um, I, I love how you laid that out. It, it was like, it can't be me. It just can't be me. And it felt like every sign over and over again, is like, Barbara, put up or shut up. It's going to be you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I just remember listening to a podcast and they were like, Write the book you wish you had had. And, and, mm. and I think the biggest hurdle for me in starting this book was like, I can't teach somebody how to budget their way out of poverty. You cannot budget your way out of poverty. And I sort of thought like, if you can't speak to everybody, then what's the point? If you can't speak to the most vulnerable, then what's the point? But 
there is a point. Somebody's going to get value out of this. This is going to help somebody. And yeah. I can speak to 20-year-old me for sure, right? I, and, and if I'm at least one voice out there, then maybe I'll inspire other voices to get mm. out there. So that, that's a good it, – it's such a great point, the, um, the point of write the book that you wish you had. Uh, you know, you alluded to a minute ago having this eye-opening experience – uh, of, of some of the more shady financial practices that you saw uh, on Wall Street. I had a similar experience where where my foolish idea of, of how something worked, it completely went 180. And, and I, I know we're going to talk specifically about real estate, but this, this type of uh, enlightenment is applicable to every concept we're going to be talking about today. Forever, I thought a mortgage meant... I was locked down to that property, that area. Um, I used to say to other bar employees, yeah, I don't want to buy a house here in Baltimore. I don't know if I'm going to be living here forever. I might want to move. You know, I might want to live somewhere else. I might want to do something else. This is going to tie me down. And I thought that way because I didn't realize that this thing is an asset. It's a tool to be used um, for in, in so many different ways. I had a old school mentality about how to use this and what it, it, it really was. Um, and once I started to look at that differently as an asset, that's where I had a lot more, actually got even more flexible. I could maneuver a lot easier. Um, so I think the, the place to start is first outlining what, you know, how are some of the ways that the average tip worker is excluded from the wealth building opportunities or just not introduced to them? Yeah, this is this is a great starter question. Um, I like to think of this book as sort of a sandwich cookie, right? The beginning portion of it is really like environment, boundaries, how we're left out of all of this shit, what, why our world is different and why we need to be thinking differently. The middle of it, the cream, that's all the sexy stuff we're gonna get into about tactics, strategies, you know, the hows, the how we're gonna do it. Right. And then the last piece of the, the, the sandwich cookie is the mindset piece, which is so important and, and, and probably more important than the other two, two pieces of this puzzle. Right. Um, but it's the part that we kind of just don't think is real as well. Um, so to start with all the ways that we're left out of wealth building, and I think it's important to acknowledge it, we've got to acknowledge the ugly side of this so that we can either recreate it but also to have language to be able to talk to our peers about it and also to be able to advocate for ourselves in the event that we are in the position in maybe our bars, our restaurants, our clubs to have conversations with the employers about maybe putting some of these things in place. Yeah. So from a systems perspective, right, in the, in the hospitality industry, we don't get paid time off. To me, that's one of the things I like to start with. The average American gets 20 paid days off per year. That's two weeks of vacation, seven holidays, 20 days. That is a working month. Mm -hmm. Can you think of how much happier and healthier as humans we would be if we had a month, a fucking month off? <laughs> like our industry would not have the levels of burnout and turnover that we see, right? Maybe this would, this would help with some of that PR perception of like why we're just fuck ups in this industry, why the industry can't retain good yeah. staff if we had some of this PTO. And so there's probably people out there who are like, oh, I live in a state where PTO is mandated. 
Sure. Yep. Some of your employers might be required to give you PTO, but let's walk that out. The subminimum wage for tipped workers in this country federally is $2.13, right? So $2.13 times eight hours, we're talking $17. You're not getting your tips as a portion of your paid day off, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Then if we add in the complexity of forced claiming of any portion of your tips, that $17 is eaten completely in taxes and you're getting like a $2 check if anything, right? Yeah. So paid time off cash flow wise does not exist in this industry. It's, it's, it's actually even worse than that. And maybe this is something that you get into in the book, mm -hmm. in the trenches. And this is, a, I think maybe a great example. Um, there are actually now employers in the service business that are doing PTO earning um, uh, structure where if you work 30 hours, you can earn one hour of PTO. So you're not even off the bat given those 20 hours, right? Right. Of guaranteed PTO or specific holidays. It's accrued. You can, yes, you can accrue it over time. And it's really mostly to be used more for um, uh, medical and, and, and healthcare uh, usage rather than some type of vacation, family, uh, mental health uh, investment, right? The craziest thing about that piece of it is they- I love this. I know where you're going. The, they do, um, the, the businesses that I've been involved in, I know that do have a, a PTO accrual for their tipped employees- do an average tip system. However, they cap it and it's a very low cap and it doesn't roll over. And there are, there's a lot of approval structures to it that limit it. Things like doctor's notes and, and other sorts of stuff like that. So even those that are starting to get ahead of the industry, um, are, are, are not letting the floodgates open. They are letting little leaks out of the dam. Um, as as the mindset is sort of changing with the employers for for tipped employees, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, to add insult to injury, like we don't even have health insurance, right? <laughs> you know, like the fact that that's what it's for and what it's supposed to be utilized for, and yeah. then potentially even like given on an accrual basis. But well, we know that every bar owner believes that workers' comp is health insurance. Oh, you got injured at work. <laughs> Oh, you didn't get injured at work? Not my fucking problem, right? Um, the idea that you wouldn't want to invest in an employee that needs to be on their feet and serving customers so your business can make money does seem a little uh, short-sighted. Um, but we can name a lot of these systems, right? I think you you uh, hit on a good one that is um, a, a big divide between the quote-unquote professional salaried workers in this country and our tipped workers. I know as somebody that has lived uh, a decade plus in both, right, as a salaried employee and a tipped employee, I was constantly jealous when I was strictly a tipped employee of my friends who had salary jobs. Oh, you're off on weekends. Oh, you get paid time off. You get paid time for holidays. You can take that vacation. I have to earn it. I have to work to have enough to be afford to take off, right? And, and that's a divide between those people and between those relationships. That's one of these systems. Some of the other ones are retirement investing. Retirement. Do we have access to the to the four hundred one k? Do we have access to other types of uh, um, you know uh, savings plans, health savings plans? Do we have access to some type of stock purchase plan? Is it a big enough business? Right? Are we with the type of tipped base uh, company that that has that for their salaried employees, but not their tipped employees? Yeah. Um, and then you obviously mentioned healthcare. These are the sorts of systems in place that we have not had access to and it is changing but 
ever, oh, so ever, so slowly. Let's well, back it up even a little bit more. Sorry, Mike. Um, I was just going to say like the structure of even how we're paid, right? So you just, you just mentioned, you know, our, our traditional nine to fiver. That's who we're going to kind of compare ourselves to in a lot of these, these comparisons when we're looking at systems. That nine to fiver is dealing with net numbers. All of their financial safety nets are pulled out and they are dealing with net numbers. People in the industry are dealing with gross numbers. Those are two very different sets of numbers. When you go to the bar and you're sitting next to Jason, who's our nine to five worker, that's what he has left over. For us, that's what we have. And there's a big right. mental shift in that, right. in that he has safety nets in place and we do not. And if anything happens to us, we are falling behind, whereas he gets to stay right where he is and move forward, right? If we're thinking about this in sort of like of a race, right? Nine to five, Jason has those days that he's protected with. His tax mm -hmm. is already taken out. His health insurance is already taken out. Not to mention his health insurance is pre-tax paid. So he doesn't ever have to pay taxes on the dollars that he spends on his health insurance. Whereas for us, we go to the health insurance market with after-tax dollars. Our health insurance, just by that fact alone, is over 20% more costly because we're using post-tax dollars to spend on health insurance. So there's these all of these little ways in which we are not stacking up next to traditionally employed people. And we have to learn how to create, recreate these systems and work the system in, in our own way in order to keep pace with and move ahead financially. Mm -hmm. yeah, so beyond well, I, I want to jump in really quick, just uh, because I know I love how you explain, you know, what, what sets the service industry apart and how things are a little different. I've been amazed at the stark differences of going to some other uh, jobs when I've, you know, taken some time off from Powerbox and going to work at a small manufacturing operation, immediately having access to IRA that they match up to a certain amount, having immediate access to health insurance. And it was something that just n never was even a conversation at any of the bars or restaurants that I worked at. So it's just strange. It's not just these guys that are guys and gals that are making good money and have a good corporate job. It's, it's every, you know, all these small nine to five operations that immediately have access to all that. Um, but I did want to say that even though this is geared towards the service industry, that anybody can uh, read this and benefit from the financial strategies and, and mentality that you lay out in here. I mean, this is a book I would recommend to anybody who's just trying to get a handle on their financial future and their financial well-being. And we were chatting a little bit before we started the recording, but it's also just so much fun to read because, you know, I, it's like you said, uh, you read so many of those different uh, personal finance books and it, almost a lot of it gets kind of repetitive. Nobody was talking to Barbara. That <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's, but that's the point. So I'm sure you've read a ton of books that talk about budgeting, but I bet tipped, I bet your book is the only one that talks about, Oh fuck emergency funds or fuck up funds, you know? So I love the, the realness and the rawness. It's like you said, Steven, it really is like you're getting schooled by, in, you know, your financial health by a bartender that that you're sitting down having a conversation with. So I really enjoy that. But honestly, it's a book that I'd recommend to anybody who's just looking to get a better handle on their, and, their and financial, how, their financial future. Yeah. And learn how to advocate for yourself because a lot of the, you know, if you're not a tipped employee, a lot of these systems are in place for you, but maybe you, you are not accessing them. You're not asking the right converse uh, the questions. You're not uh, advocating for yourself with your employer. But well, there's a general I think there's a general lack of just basic understanding about finance. Sure. At least from my personal experience, like 
in high school and even in college, I never learned any of this kind of stuff. You would have to actively seek it out. Just the idea of how your credit score works and how to get a good credit score is something that I didn't discover until my late 20s. And after I got a handle on that, it has drastically improved my life and the way that I'm able to invest in the projects that I actually would like to invest in. So just some of the basic information is so important and it's just lacking from a lot of the different conversations out there. Refocusing yeah. on some of the systemic stuff here for just a second now. Um, and Mike, you mentioned emergency funds. I mean, we could, we could go all day long disability funding, uh, you know, long-term health planning, emergency uh, funds. I mean, look, every corporate job I've ever had has given me the ability to invest in disability insurance in legal life insurance. insurance. Yeah. Has legal given me insurance. Discounts on my car insurance, discounts on my, on my phone plan, health uh, credits for having a gym membership credits yes. for going back to school. I mean, the you the safety net, it, it, they go on and on and on and on for these salaried employees. The thing that gets me like, and this is, to me, even bigger than all of the benefits we've already mentioned. The fact that all of these companies have a resource that is HR is so, it, it cannot <laughs> be under, it cannot be overstated how important and, and truly critical HR is to the well being of employees. So, I, the, Americans build wealth in two ways. The two biggest ways that Americans build wealth one is through their 401k. And the other is through their primary residence. When it comes to your 401k, the only reason that Jason, our nine to fiver, has $800,000 in his, in his 401k when he retires is because Sharon from HR made him check a box so that she could automate the process yeah. of taking money from his check and investing it for him. Sharon is the reason that Jason gets to retire. And automation is the reason that any of our nine to five workers are able to build wealth, right? And yeah. they, they they pat themselves on the back when they get to the end and they're like, oh, well, I, I earned this, I structured this. And it's like, no, <laughs> sharing from HR. With great sophistication, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you're the, giving the yourself a big is, pat on the back. Yeah, the funny <laughs> thing is our HR is a guy named Paul that was a bartender three years ago and fell ass backwards into the assistant manager job. And now he like, does the schedule and processes the w-2s you know what i'm saying exactly um and his, and his hr is no you can't have that day off yeah and, and i i hate to be that rudimentary about it because look i know there are a lot of people in the restaurant business and in the in the service industry and tip business that are highly educated highly intelligent and 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 um, amazing self-starters but what i think we're really trying to get at is not only are the systems not in place a lot of times the people to help to manage that is another system, right? There Absolutely. isn't that professional HR person to educate or even just to guide you through the process. Let's think uh, about Jason, right? Jason, HR Sharon goes to Jason and she's like, here's your two health insurance options. Which one do you want? And he's like, which one is less? And she's like, this one, right? Or he's like, I don't know what to invest in. She's like, just check this box, right? Like mm -hmm. even having that person to help walk you through each of these yeah. benefits. A big part of me writing the book was I wanted to be HR Sharon for us. I wanted to be able to walk each of us ah. through these things and say like, listen, I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to do this step by step. You're just going to take a little bit of action. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. Just go for it. Because that is what HR is. It's a huge resource to people. And it's the reason that Americans build wealth. So uh, what are some of the ways that because the service industry is kind of excluded from the table at this, what are some of the ways that we can, uh, that people in the service industry can start uh, getting these, uh, getting on the right path for themselves with some of these different um, 
sorry, some of these different uh, programs and, and opportunities out there. Yeah. So the first thing I always talk about in this industry is setting up an emergency fund. You have to have an emergency fund in this industry. There is a power imbalance in this industry when you are serving somebody else. And so you have to have a little bit of savings put in place so that you aren't reliant on each individual tip that you are faced with because you can't advocate for yourself. You can't have boundaries. You can't have, you can't even keep your establishment's values in perspective if you are totally reliant on somebody's, someone else's. If you can't walk away. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have the power to walk away. If we don't have the system in place, we got to build it for ourselves. We have to build it for ourselves. Sorry, I was just going to say an emergency fund is important for anybody, obviously, but for the service industry, obviously, it has uh, there's there's more reasons why it's even more important for the service industry professionals. Yeah. And so if this is your first time hearing about an emergency fund, um, I like to break it down and just say an emergency fund is an account. It's a bucket. It's a vessel. Right. It's just a place where you store money and the amount that you kind of want to target for is around three to six months of your mandatory living expenses. When somebody first told me this, I told them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> I was fucking furious. Someone was like, oh, you need an emergency fund. And I was like, okay, what's that? And they were like, oh, it's like an account where you put three to six months of your mandatory living into an account so that you have it. And I was like, okay, for what? And they were like, it's just there. And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's not a down payment on a house. That's not a vacation. That's not a, like, I was so irate. And I spent six months reading every single thing I could on emergency funds. No, you didn't. Hold on. Yes, I did. Hold on. Hold on. You spent six months trying to avoid opening the emergency fund. That's what you did. I wanted to prove him wrong. I was like, there's no way that this is real. Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh, uh-uh. And it was the one thing he was totally fucking right about. And honestly, it's my my favorite financial product, right? And I call it a product because it's a mental framework that I have in place where I'm like, this exists right? Because I've made it exist. And what it serves me for is if I need to walk out, if there's a medical emergency, if I need to book a flight to go help out a family member, go to a funeral, like if I need to take care of myself, right? That's what it's there for. If some shit goes down, I can protect myself in this very important way. And I think that when, if we're talking about benefits and what they mean, they are safety nets. And this is the first and foremost safety net that people need to put in place. Well, yeah, and the, but the, the effect on the mental health of not being at your last dollar or paycheck to paycheck, but even like you said, even if you're not putting it into, a, you know, another investment, having that peace of mind that you do have that safety net could be a huge game changer in, in just your daily life. So, no, like, I, I love this, that perspective. This business isn't even paycheck to paycheck. It's day to day, baby. Like mm-hmm. you could have you could you could be sitting there saying, I'm going to make X on Friday night, on Saturday night, right? And then you get to that particular evening and it's rainy and there's a big game in town and there's a reason people are away. There's a holiday, right? There's a traffic jam that kills happy hour, right? And then you don't walk away okay. with the tips. I'm serious. I'm sorry. Is- no, when you said traffic jam that kills, I didn't expect you to say happy hour, but sorry, you just got me off guard. <laughs> I, get, I mean, if you really think about it, it kills happy hour either way. But Yeah, it does. Um, it does. Sorry, we're getting a little morbid there, but uh, no, the point is, this is the mindset change that start, needs to happen, it, is that instead of living that shift to shift mindset, strictly focused on an earn, like a dollar I'm trying to earn, having this emergency fund as a buffer uh, to, to, uh, to, you know, shoot for, as a goal to achieve, is a, a, maybe a much safer way and 
you know, uh, uh, to, to support yourself financially. It also, as Mike said, gives you a little bit less stress in the mental mm-hmm. health. Let's talk about some of the ways that somebody can, as a tipped employee, start to build that emergency fund. Ooh, I love this question. It's a fun one. Um, so I, I first want to say that there's a lot of people who are probably listening and people will pick up my book who are starting from behind, right? They have they have debt. They have they have things and they're like, I can't save because I have all of these other obligations. But what's really important about an emergency fund is that it prevents you from going deeper into a debt cycle. So if you have this little bit of savings and you're able to start paying down your cards, most people, when they're in debt, they put everything they have onto their card. They're like, I'm going to pay it all. And then if I need to use my card, I'll use my card. That doesn't work. That's what keeps people going back into debt because you're flexing this muscle of like, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to be so good. I'm going to pay off my cards. And then that muscle gets exhausted. And what do you do? It gets racked back up. And if something happens, then it all goes back onto the card. Whereas mm-hmm. if you start to build up the savings, it does two things. The first thing it does is you get to watch something grow, which is really great for your mindset. You're watching something grow. And then you can continue to maybe maybe a little bit more slowly, but pay down some of that debt. And if something happens, you don't have to go back into that high interest debt. You mm-hmm. can pull from your emergency fund. And that's where the debt cycle can be stopped. Um, so it, you know, for some people they're like, oh, well, why would I save if I have 20% high interest debt that I need to pay down? And it's like, that's actually really important to help you pay that down. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I, I totally well, avoided your I think, question. No, no, no. I actually think, uh, it was a good segue because I think the mindset shift is first, right? I'm, I'm going to do it differently by saying this, I'm going to build a system for myself. I'm going to build this emergency fund. Um, I think we really need to do like uh, like the bare bones of it, right? Am I going to my bank and opening another savings account on my debit card on my you know uh, on my uh, check in my checking account? Do you you know recommend the sock drawer, the the mason jar on the counter, right? What are what are the ways to just get started? And then what are some of the percentages of my tips I need to be looking at to 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 shade? or at least just get started with this sort of investment? Yeah, so, you know, the vessel is your choosing. So for me, my emergency fund is in a high yield savings account. Mm, Right now, high yield savings accounts are paying, mine pays 3.9% interest, right? I'm getting paid to save money. It's really motivating. It's really, really great, right? But if I, I don't know about you, but I was in debt and I was unbanked for a really long time. No one would open an account for me. I'm mm-hmm. talking no one. Like I had to have a secured credit card at one point when I was trying to get back into the credit system. So I've been there. And so if you are somebody who's unbanked or you don't have access to that, yeah, the sock drawer is the sock drawer, right? The tip jars, the, you know, the jars, the jar, the, mm-hmm. the fire safe is the fire safe. Like wherever you need to keep it so that it's safe and available for you use it right there's no shame in this game like whatever yeah. whatever you want to whatever you want to do is fine like a bank's great it's fdic insured you know if the bank gets you know goes out of business which oddly we've seen recently like your money is insured by the by the u.s government which is great um but if it's a sock drawer it's a sock drawer mm-hmm. okay yeah. <clears throat> what are some of the percentages of tips or do you do you know do you recommend somebody really look at uh uh you know, a windfall, like a big tip day or a big tip to kind of get them started or motivated? I mean, what are, we'll what go is- in, We'll go into budgeting and tracking. Um, okay. And so normally I'll say for future you, right? Future you, because um, that's what your emergency fund is that bridge 
to get you from current you to future you, and it protects you. And so future use usually needs to get about 10 to 20% of what, what you're, what you're bringing in. Um, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. Um, but as far as ways that we can maybe gamify it and make it a little bit more fun to, to, cause saving money is fucking boring. There is a reason that when you look at the wealthiest, <laughs> people, it's boring. When you look at the wealthiest people in the world, they are pale, stale and male. Right. And it's because <laughs> it is hard to be that boring for that long. Like, seriously, there's nothing sexy about building wealth. People think it's like, Oh, yeah. that's out of stock. Like, no, that's gambling. Like true making money is boring. Yes. Boring, right. So you have to have the stamina to do boring things. Um, so for us, we're going to try to make it a little bit more fun to save money because we're in a, we're in a fun industry. Bartenders are easily bored too. That's why one of the reasons we do this job is just for the crazy bullshit of interacting with customers every day, right? Like we want to earn our money in a fun way. So yes, teach us how to save it in a fun way too. Yeah. So I like to gamify, like, first I'll, I'll calculate it. Right. So once I know where I'm going to store this money, I'll calculate it. Right. I'll add up my rent. I'll add up all my bills. I'll add up like a small buffer for like my food and you know, all of those things. And I'll say, okay, that times three, that's my starting goal. Right. I'll make, I'll put it on a piece of paper. I'll be like, mm, I don't know, maybe I can save that in six months. What's that divided by six? Nope. That's way too fucking high. Let's divide it by 12. <laughs> right. Like this is a little bit of back and forth trial and error. There's no exact thing that's going to be perfect for everybody this mm -hmm. is a great approach to and again not even just to finance to everything in your life if you haven't reverse engineered some of the things you're struggling with this is a great uh just mindset tool that you should take in that barbara's talking about here a lot of times people see their problems as this elephant that they have to eat all at once and it's one bite at a time but the easy way to track that and strategize is start with the end goal and literally step back one day at a time from there. And what Barbara's talking about here is, okay, if my living expenses, and that is my car insurance, my rent, my mortgage, my groceries, my gas, a million, every expense you have in a month, add it up. That's your monthly uh, hard living cost. We're going to take that number. We're going to multiply it by three. That's three months of hard living dollars that we're going to have in the bank as an emergency fund. And we're going to start to break that down into what we can afford to put away as we're going into our shifts on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. Um, so again, I think it's a good way to say, all right, let's not make this, you know, an, an unclimbable mountain, right? Let's try to right. break it down into very, uh, you know, um, very bite-sized pieces that we can take one day at a time. And if that goal is six months to complete, a year to complete, two years to complete, that's that may be what it is. And we need to start having, uh, you know, that goal-oriented mindset and a little more stamina to get there. But that's kind of how you get started. Well, and I, I love the idea of putting it in a high-interest uh, savings account because then you, it, it's like you said, it's not just this money sitting there, but it's actually starting to accrue and pay you back. So it's there for you when you when you have that rainy day, but it's also making money on its own. And that's that would help with the mindset, you know, so much. Now, I do, I want to ask you a little bit, <clears throat> I want to dive into this a little bit more because um, a lot of people uh, who might be listening to this or interested in getting your book might be struggling with debt. Um, and what, what I loved about you talking about in your book is you're very humble in your explanation of how to get out of these things because you've had to do it yourself. I loved hearing about how you got the, uh, 
the television and the couch on uh, uh, a pay for what, what is that? So Rent it's an center? interest. Yeah. Rent a center. I was like, what are you doing? No. <laughs> so that was hilarious. So you are very forthcoming with the mistakes you've made, uh, which I just think makes the book so much more approachable too, because it's not like this person who's always been successful, uh, you know, talking down on you, but, you know, living through your experiencing your experience and showing uh, people how to come out of that. But one of the things that I, I do want to touch on, so credit card debt, in particular, because if you have racked up a bunch of credit card debt or maybe on multiple cards and you're paying like a 20% interest amount on those cards each month, it's hard to know where to start on putting uh, money. Obviously, you have your actual costs for just existing, you know, every month. Then you're trying to do, uh, you know, your emergency fund. But then also the math comes down to how much are you putting away versus how much is coming out of your paycheck unnecessarily each month by having to pay down this high interest, uh, these high interest credit cards. So how do you kind of navigate those waters? Yeah. So you both said something really, really important, right, Steve? You you said like make it bite sized, right? And then Mike, what you were saying is like, how, how do you how do you figure it out, right? And what's important about that is that for people who are in debt or even people who are just starting with their finances for the first time, you may be living beyond your means. And so the first step is kind of recognizing the fact that like no one taught me how to live within my means. Mm -hmm. Right. And so maybe I am living behind, maybe I'm living a little bit more beyond what I can afford. Maybe I need to tailor that back. Maybe it's not just a pay down approach, but maybe I need to make bigger changes in my life in order to be living in my means. And so yeah. Steve, you were saying like, make it approachable, make it bite-sized, take it one step at a time, but also recognize the fact that if you've been spending every dollar that is coming in and you don't have savings, then there's going to be a little bit of tension and there's going to be a little bit of pressure in order to make changes because something has to change in order for things to change. But Barbara, I'm already living as lean as I possibly can. I've cut the budget down. I only eat ramen. You know, I work double seven days a week. Yeah. I think I think there does need to be a creative mindset of where you can approach that scarcity um, uh, in, in unique and creative ways. Do you have some examples of specific things that somebody can say, um, should I, you know, should I look at all of my insurance accounts, right? Should I try to get a cheaper phone? Should I try to get cheaper car insurance? Should I... You know, is there anything I can do to rent to, uh, you know, do on a daily basis that might make things a little bit cheaper? Do you have any examples? Because I know for some of these people, they do just need a reality check, right? <laughs> Somebody needs to hit them over the head and say, okay, you could you could be more creative with this. But do you have any specific examples? Yeah. So I'll I'll first say that like if if you are somebody who's living really close to the poverty line, right, and you are saying there's nothing I can cut, there's nothing I can save, there's nothing I can cut and still keep myself safe with all of this debt, right? And that's gonna be some people. There's nothing more that they can cut from their spending. Then you have an income problem, right? And if you have an income problem, you need to increase your income. So maybe that comes with adding more jobs. Maybe that comes with switching employers. Maybe that comes from, you know what? Maybe you can't afford to live on your own right now. Maybe you need a roommate. Maybe you need to ask for help from friends and family. You need to think creatively. If you are at the poverty line, it is, you. It, like I said at the beginning of the, the call, like you cannot budget your way out of generational poverty. You have to earn more and you have to make big changes. And so that's the first thing is it may not be an expense problem, but for most people, it is. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, right? well, especially in the service industry because you're around this kind of party, you know, luxury atmosphere all the time. And it's so tempting to not get off your shift and then spend half the tips you made going out with, you know, some of your coworkers. And so what you were saying is like, how how do I know? And that's when we get into budgeting and tracking. Yeah. Right. And so you queued that up perfectly. And people are always like, oh, yeah, but I can't budget. I live on a fluctuating income. I never know how much I'm going to make. And it's like, mm-hmm. yep, you and every other business in this country, no two businesses, no any business makes the two makes the same amount of income two months in a row. That's what makes it more important for you to have to track and budget. You don't just get an out. Right. Unfortunately, it's going to be harder for us to budget and manage our money because we work on a fluctuating income, because we choose to be in this industry where we get to have a lot of fun and we get to be our unique selves and we get to do all the things that we get to do. There's going to be some downsides and that Mm. is that our financial lives are harder to manage. And so we have to recognize that, accept it, and also know that we can do hard things. Mm. Right. So the first piece is tracking our income, just like any other business. We track our income. Why? Because there's trends. And when we find those trends, we can make a plan, right? If you're working in a club environment, you probably know your summers are going to be slow. Your sporting events are going to be slow. You have a patio. You have sports TVs. Your summers are going to be so busy. Your sporting events are going to be so, so busy, right? Yeah. Your family establishment, holidays are going to be awesome for you, right? Like there's all of these little trends. And when you start to track your income, it does two things. The first thing it does is it shows you the real opportunity that you have with your income. Holy shit. I made 60 grand this year. Holy shit. I made 80 grand this year. And then the second realization of like, oh God, and I have nothing to show for it. (laughs) Right? It shows you what an opportunity you have so that you can be a good steward over that money. And so that you can really put some systems in place to protect yourself and set yourself up for the future because future you is going to have a bad back and deserves a hot tub and nice vacation. (laughs) Right? And so- no, I'm sorry. Well, there, are old bar- uh, there are old bartenders uh, out there right now, and they are saying to themselves, we used to push kegs up a hill nine miles just mm-hmm. to get them into the cooler. And, uh, and and I think that they are upset that all of these young service industry employees can hop on their iPhone and download any sort of tip tracking or income tracking app. Here's three right off the top right now. Server life, free on iPhone, tipsy, free on iPhone, tip tracker. Mm-hmm. If you're not tracking those expenses, right? And I'm not talking about looking at your pay stubs. I'm talking about every shift you go in. What am I Cash making tips? Money. Yes. Right. Starting to get those averages, starting to understand what am I earning over time so that be, because the tips are so fluctuating and so predicated on foot traffic a lot of the time, if you can't hone in on what am I truly making, when you start off Jan 1 of a year, you're already going to be disadvantaged. Go download one of these income tracking apps and start to get a handle on these fluctuations so you can better budget. Yep. And so tracking your income, again, like I said, it, you realize the potential that your money has. And then you can start to make really important trade-offs. Like, okay, I, if, I don't have, if I made 60 grand and I don't have anything to show for it, That means I spent 60 grand. Mm -hmm. What did I spend 60 grand on, right? Did my money represent my values or did it just walk out the door and do whatever the people in my circle wanted it to do, which is probably what's happening. Mm -hmm. 
But when you start to track, you can start to make real intentional trade-offs. Like, did you want to spend $10,000 in going out for after work drinks? Mm. Right. Or if you were intentional about it, would you rather max out your IRA, go to Mexico and go out once a week? Because most people give themselves the wrong trade-offs. They're like, would I rather go out or would I rather not go out? I'd rather fucking go out, <laughs> right? Those are the wrong trade-offs. If, but if instead you have information and it can guide you in like, would I rather go to Mexico, max out my IRA and go out once a week? Or would I rather go out four times a week? Yeah. Then you can start to find a life that has more meaning and value to you. So, so this is, um, I'm so happy that we've gotten to here because I knew in doing this interview, as opposed to, you know, our regular show, we were going to start to circle some some macro concepts that were very existential, right? We always talk about how there's a certain type of person that gets into this business, right? Anybody can work in the service industry. Anybody can be a bartender, server, or other tipped employee. But it takes this mindset of like, you got to be a little crazy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so we've always been trying as a theme of our show to kind of define that, like, figure out the Venn diagram of the crazy people that fit into this business. And one of the common personality traits is we don't like deferred gratification. And, and this is going to be a huge thing to grapple with as you're looking at budgeting, as you're looking at your financial health. And what Barbara's talking about here is, yeah, you got to stop looking at it as make money now or don't make money, go out or don't go out. Right. Um, work this shift or don't work this shift. There needs to be start sort of a goal-oriented mindset shift of, I hate deferred gratification as a bartender. I want to make my money right now, but where do I want to be five years from now, 10 years, from now, 15 years from now? You need to start to be more conscious about the, those long-term realities. Well, and yeah, and especially too, like you said, when you actually kind of start to look at it and compare it of, do I want to this, you know, to do I need to go out four times a week, you know, over the course of a year and spend all this money? Is that really doing anything for me? Or like you said, you can, you, you can still budget and save and become financially independent while still planning a nice trip to go somewhere and still being able to go out and have an occasional meal, but just not overextending yourself for something that's not going to, you know, do anything yeah. for you in the long run. So yeah. I thought the mindset, like you said, is so important. To and do our, our language and how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about our, our industry language is another resource, just like money and time and energy. And we have to be careful how we use our language. So to say that we hate instant gratification, or you know, that we need instant gratification, right. that we hate delayed gratification, like we're we're working on it, right? It's important <laughs> yes. to say that we're getting better at visually understanding what's important to us, having a vision for that, and then acting with a plan towards that, right? So I don't know about you, but when I had a vacation coming up, I never worked harder. Then when I knew I had a trip right. planned the next week, I've ne- I never worked harder. And why is that? Because I could literally taste the cocktails. I could feel, <laughs> I could feel the sand between my toes. I could feel the sun on my skin. I knew it was coming and I wanted as much money as I could to make that trip as amazing as it could be. Right. And so when your why is strong and you understand what you're moving towards, then your actions will show up and your identity will follow. And so I think it's, it's, it's important for us to like recognize the fact that maybe we have been operating without a plan. Mm. Mm, yeah, absolutely. 
right? And and that's okay. That's how most people live their lives without a plan. They just let things happen and that's okay. What do they say? The first step to recovery is admitting that you don't have a plan. I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. Um, but the no, it's, it, it's true. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to make those changes to uh, a more thoughtful, um, you know, a more thoughtful way of looking at how we make our money and what our time is worth, then, then yeah, we need to start thinking about uh, not just the instant cash, the fast money, um, but how that money works as a, a piece in a plan. Um, I want to, I want to kind of circle back for a second, because I know we've, we've been meandering a bit just in, in, um, in how we're attacking and unpacking the book. Um, and, and there's so many different topics I know we, we want to get into today, but the first question I asked you was, you know, how are tipped workers excluded from traditional wealth building opportunities? And we started by talking about those systems, right? Um, uh, that, that a lot of employers don't provide us. But what are some of the other ways we're precluded uh, from, from actually making investments, you know, receiving loans, applying for loans? What are the other ways that we can combat that and some of the areas where we're being excluded from wealth building, the active approach? Once we have a plan, we have a budget. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about tracking your income and the importance of tracking income. Now I'm going to say something no one's going to want to hear. We have to claim that income. Mm, okay. We have to claim that income because it does so many things for us. The first thing it does is it makes us eligible for a lot of benefits that require that are partially based on your in, your claimed income. So one of those benefits is unemployment, which during COVID we saw that we were lucky enough to just receive the booster, right? Like had we not had the booster, everyone in this industry would have been fucked, right? Yep. The second one, which is the probably the biggest financial safety net in the United States, is Social Security. So I'm going to lay some really scary facts on you majority of currently retired service industry professionals rely solely on social security to get by. I will couple that piece of information with the fact that in 2020, the average payout for social security for people who claimed their income in full was less than $20,000. That's below the property line. Yeah. yeah. So if you are not claiming your income and you are not investing for your retirement, you are in real trouble. This is another one of those reality check moments, though, because there are bartenders and servers listening to you say this, and some of them are thinking about hitting the off button or turning off their podcast platform because Barbara is telling them to claim their tips, which to them is a foreign concept. But I think we don't understand the value of doing that, right? So it, it, dig deeper into why um, uh, recording everything you're making, every one of those tips has enormous value um, uh, for service industry employees. So recording your tips is important because it shows you what the potential is for it. Now, I can't tell everyone to claim all of their tips, right? Legally, we're supposed to, right? I'll also say that I'm pretty sure that it doesn't rise to the occasion of a felony if you claim more than 75%, if you at least claim 75% of your tips. I don't know why I know that crazy fact. <laughs> I'm going to share that with you. But I will also say that I would never blame somebody who decided not to claim a portion of their income because of 
all of the fucking things we just said that they're excluded from and they want to create some of their own pre-tax benefits, if you will. Right. So this is not, I don't like to operate around shame or should, or I'm going to give you some information and tell you that it's really important for you to be claiming your income because you need those benefits in the future. The second thing, the second reason that claiming your income is so important is because of the financial services industry. We mentioned those two ways that Americans build wealth, 401k and real estate. You are not going to be able to purchase real estate without predatory rates if you are not claiming your income in full, right? And so those predatory rates, it it gets really ugly and that'll exclude you from the real estate game. But if you're claiming at least two years of your income in full, then you're going to have a much easier time getting traditional lending, which means that you're going to have an easier time getting into the real estate game and an easier time building wealth. Yeah. One of the things we're talking about with planning here is just starting. The sooner the better with that portion, right? You might be listening to this and you're 24, 25 years old. The idea of buying a house, buying property, investing in real estate in some way is so foreign to you, right? Oh, that's 10 years down the line when I'm in my 30s, right? Um, But if you want to get there one day, you need to have this information recorded and on the books, to put it just really simply, so that when you do uh, decide to make that step or when you say, hey, I've got my emergency fund, I feel like now what I really want to turn to is investing in property or home or buying myself and my family a home. You're going to have the foundation in place because you have been claiming this income. And that's something I've seen so many bartenders and servers do where somebody gets into their 30s and they're like, yeah, I guess I should buy a house now. And they have to start then. It's a two, three year operation from that point to even get to the actual purchase or lender conversation. Um and that, yeah, and that doesn't even include the potential predatory rates that you're going to be offered. So, and I know um, we're all fans of real estate here. We're all real estate investors. We all, you know, I have property, you all have property. And I'll say one of the things that I think is so interesting about this industry is like we have, I, I think because we work in such a tangible space, we're dealing with physical products. Like, right, nine to five, Jason is dealing with like Excel spreadsheets and these very like non tangible theories all day. We are dealing with touch and feel all of the time, every day on our bar with our guests. And I think that's really one of the reasons that we tend to be really attracted to real estate is because it's a tangible property. Mm. We see its value. We understand what those physical properties mean. Um, And so when you are getting, you know, early on in your industry, I, I will encourage you not only to just think about it from a primary residence perspective, but also potentially from an investment perspective of like, hmm, if I got a property and I lived with a bunch of my bartender friends, a bunch of my server friends, they could help me pay that rent. And I'm young enough to where that's that's not an issue for me because I like having roommates and I like having 20 people in my house at a time. And, you know, right. like, so even if you think like, oh, that's so down the road for me when I'm having like, a, you know, a family and kids and a dog and a yard, you can get into real estate pretty young. And the other thing that I like about real estate for this industry is that we do have that quick access to cash. So if you Mm. wanted to purchase something for cash, like we are, we are on the receiving end of cash pretty quickly. So it's something we can build easily. 
So I know we're going to start getting into a little bit more about uh, investments and everything, because, of course, it's like you said, a, a big part of this is is getting yourself on the path that you need to go. And a big part of that is just budgeting properly, claiming your tips and uh, setting up an emergency fund. Um, now, there are some other accounts and everything. Would you like to talk about some of these other accounts like IRA or even things like health insurance or anything like that and why that is something important to consider for service industry professionals? Yeah, non, non-real non estate investments, you know, uh, and, and whether that's the ones Mike talked about or even just a short-term brokerage account, right? Something that can start- or even Or even health insurance, which is still something that I don't have. Right. So, I mean, it's one of those things to where you kind of just are banking on your youth and you're like, oh, I'll take care of it later. Then mm-hmm. five years pass, 10 years pass. And if you're not actively strategizing where you're going, you're right. It, you, you don't really get to where the, those places you thought you were going to be. Yeah. Let's close the loop on budgeting real quick. Right. And mm-hmm. I'll say that, but you know, it's typically people's least favorite topic. It's hard to, to manage... It's hard to stick to it. It's like you say, I think, I think you quoted somebody in the book, but it's like the math is easy. You can break down the math pretty easy. It's actually sticking to it, not going over budget and, and having the discipline to make that budget work for you. That's that's the hard part. And the problem is our brains, they lie to us, right? We just like, oh, no, I mean, I probably spent like 100 bucks going out this month. You know what I mean? Like We just lie to ourselves so <laughs> much. And so the budget is what keeps us honest. The tracking our expenses, it's, it's what keeps us honest. And it's what makes us sure that our spending is aligned with that value. That, that is our money going where we want it to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or is it going somewhere else? Right. And you, you recommend uh, Excel mostly for tracking that because I've been trying to find like an app that I can use and I can't find any that I really like. I just so. named three of them, Michael. What are you talking? Well, those about? were I thought those were for cleaning tips. I don't get tips. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So for for budgeting, yeah, I think people overcomplicate budgeting. Budgeting is an estimate of your income and an estimate of your expenses, and then the other side of that is tracking all of those things to make sure it's around where you thought it was, right? So this is what businesses do because we have to mirror what businesses do because we have all these fluctuating numbers. Businesses, they look for trends, they set targets, and then they look back and see how good their guesses were. My wife does corporate finance for publicly traded companies. That's what they do. Look for trends, make guesses, go back and see how their guesses were and make adjustments. And that's exactly what we're going to do when we budget in this industry. We're going to look for those income trends. We're going to target out our expenses and we're going to look back and see how we did did we earn more than we spend so that we can invest the difference do we need to make tweaks that spending side we're going to track it for a few months i fucking hate tracking my expenses it gets old it's boring it's tedious but you need to because you need to have an understanding of where your numbers are and where your money's going eventually you can systemize it. You can automate it. You can go do what's called a graduated budget or a zero-based budget, where if you're in the habit of paying yourself first and you're putting money towards your investments and towards your goals, then you just get to spend what's ever less left in that last account, right? That's the graduated budget. But for at least a few months, if not a year, you should be tracking your expenses because you need a good handle on your money. You need and to there, know where it's going. Yeah, and there are simple monthly budget templates online if you guys need one. I mean, it is very easy. Uh, just look up a monthly budget uh, template in Google, and that's going to uh, be a good place to start, right? 
Yeah. And it's um, not, you're, you may try one, two, seven, you're not going to be perfect the first time. And it's so important that you're kind to yourself. I like Excel because Excel is like how my brain works, right? Like I can just plug in wherever I think things go. I like Excel because I know how to use Excel. Maybe you don't know how to use Excel, right? So maybe an app is going to be easier. Maybe your notepad's going to be easier. Maybe YNAB or Mint or, you know, uh, I'm, tr I'm trying, there's a, there's a million apps. There's a million workbooks. There's a million ways to do it. Find something that looks cute to you that, <laughs> that it, really, really, it's, it's really about right. like, right. what, what looks good to you. Try it. Does it not work? Try something else. Keep trying. You will figure it out. Iterating is part of the process. Failing mm -hmm. is part of the process. So yeah, I just wanted to, to close that loop on, on budgeting before we move into investing. Um, because you can't that earning more than you spend so that you can invest the difference. Investing doesn't happen until you make sure that that income side is tracked and that spending side is under control. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we get to the investing portion, which is the fun stuff, right? That's, that's, that's really, that's, that's where all the magic's happening. So we talked on real estate. I love real estate. You guys love real estate. I think it's really fun and sexy. Um, but it's not the first thing that I recommend. And the reason that it's not the first thing that I recommend is because real estate, it's really expensive, right? And it also has high transaction fees. So for people who are just starting out in investing, get into the stock market. The stock market has a hundred year track record of constantly going up, right? A hundred years going up all the time. There's dips. There's crashes, but if you ride the ride, stock market always goes up, right? Again, yes, there's crashes, there's dips, there's events, things happen. It's a little bit of a roller coaster. But mm -hmm. if you start now, compound interest will take care of that so that it's a smoother ride for you. I, th I think it's important. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I think it's no. important too because I think there is a little bit of a misconception with um, – buying properties because some people will look at their monthly, um, you know, their rent and they'll say, well, I could get a mortgage for comparably the same price. And then, you know, I can be able to start, you know, buying a house, but then there's a ton of other fees and everything else associated with that. Just maintenance and upkeep that it's you don't plan liquid, for. That can be a lot cash to come to the table with, you know, to even own that home, right. To but, get that, that mortgage line. Yeah. But it's like you talk about in the book, sometimes, it actually could be a lot smarter to rent and reinvest that money into the stock market. But what are some of the ways that you you recommend getting into that? Because to me, to me still, I've finally started investing a little bit, but it is still so foreign to me and it seems really overwhelming. Yeah, I love this. Um, so I'll, I'll also say on the real estate side, I, I like to say that rent is the maximum you pay when you're renting, whereas a mortgage is the minimum amount you pay when you're buying. Mm. Right. So those numbers are not comparable. When you are buying a property, there are so many other costs associated with insurance and taxes and maintenance. And um, yeah, so it's if, especially if you're going for an investment property, it's a pretty sophisticated situation to start off investing in. Um, so my favorite place to invest. And again, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but. I'm a former bartender. I am not. <laughs> I am not providing tax, legal, or financial advice. I have zero credentials. Bartenders give great advice, but oh, I'm yeah. not certified. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt. Mm. But so I, again, I'm not giving financial advice. But I love Vanguard. Vanguard is a hundred-year-old institution. The reason I love them as a brokerage 
um, is because not only are they 100 years old, right, but they also basically invested the index fund, which is like one of it's, the index fund is like something where they're like, oh, we're going to take all these sections, all these pieces of these publicly traded companies, and we're going to make a little bucket, and you're going to get little pieces of all of that action. So this fund that you put your money into is going to be really well diversified, right? Mm-hmm. And we like that because we like owning all of these pieces of all of these really great companies. So they basically invented that, how to, how to basket those securities. So I love that. I also love that they're a co-op. They're like one of, I think they may be the only brokerage that is a co-op, which means that when you invest in Vanguard, you're an owner, hmm. right? You get to vote at the meetings. You're, you're a shareholder. You're, you own part of it. And then I also love that their fees are really low. A big part of why people get taken advantage of in this industry is because there's a lot of jargon and people don't understand that something like one and 2% fees will totally wipe out any gains that you have. It sounds so low, like, oh, we're only going to charge 1%. We're only going to charge 2%. And when you do the math and you're like, God, that's a third of my portfolio gone with 1% and 2% fees, like Vanguard keeps their fees really, really low. The expense ratios are very low. So like I personally would start by going to a reputable brokerage, right? Like I don't like these new apps like the Robin Hood and stuff like that. It's, it's awesome because it's democratized investing. It's made it sexy. It's made it interesting. It's gotten people involved and interested, right? But if you're mm-hmm. here listening to this, those companies have not been around for very long, right? We don't know where they're going. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know what their numbers look like. It's just, it's not as good of an option as a company like Vanguard that has billions and billions and billions and a hundred years and all right. of this, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're designed and they've, they've, they've been through all of the hurdles and crashes and made it out. It's, okay. it's weird because there is some stigma uh, with legacy businesses, right? There is some, Oh, that's the old guard. Or that's how it has been done. And you just, you just said the democratization of investing and specifically like day trading, like individual stock investing has become sexy for a younger generation. You know, I see my younger brother who's, you know, now out of the service business, but this is a guy that regularly is trading on these platforms on a daily basis on individual stocks. And and that's all well and good. And, and it, it does provide people greater access, but I think there is something to be said with, you gave a, you gave a great example of Van, Vanguard's index investing of shading some of the risk. Mm-hmm. I, I want to back up for just a second because I think that a lot of people listening may not totally understand exactly what we're talking about um, with actually investing in stock. People, people like, and when I was younger, right, I thought the only way that I could buy stock was I personally had to call some dude on Wall Street <laughs> and be like, I want five shares of Apple, please. Thank you. Here's my money. And sure, you can do that with these new investing apps. You can actually. Um, execute the transactions on your own per se. Um, Yeah. But what we're talking about with these brokerages and something like a short-term brokerage account is where you are going to a Vanguard, a Northwestern Mutual, um, some of these other, well, maybe not Northwestern Mutual, but (laughs) I'm trying to give some examples of, uh, of, of larger brokerages. Fidelity. Fidelity. Thank you. Yeah. They do. Some of them do have uh, like minimums on what you have to bring with investment dollars, but some of the ones that allow you to to bring really, uh, you know, a um, couple hundred dollars to open an account, 
it's a great place to start to say, hey, um, I'm thinking about getting into the stock market. What are some of the options as far as, you know, a short-term brokerage plan? Um, they'll, they'll walk you through the level of risk, whether you want to be really conservative or more risky, um, where you can get pieces of a lot of different stocks. You can be part of an indexing pool to where you're contributing money into this larger pot with other uh, smaller investors. And then that group is going out and taking that that. Uh, that amount of money and investing it strategically so that you're seeing these returns as the stock market is going up over time. So that that to me is, I think, something that people have confusion about, that they don't always have to understand everything about every stock and purchase it all themselves. I'm going to back it up even more. Okay. Um, I like to compare investing to wine. With wine, you can get really into the weeds. Right. You can talk about tannins and mouthfeel and notes and region and body and year. And you can get so deep mm. into wine, but you do not need to get that deep into wine to have a great wine experience. You need to know a little bit about what you like and a little bit about your tolerance and you can have a great wine experience. And the same is true for investing. You don't need to get into the weeds on investing. You need to know a little bit about your risk tolerance. And that's it. You don't need to understand Forex and puts and bell curves. And you don't need to understand what this stockbroker is saying or mutual funds are offering or anything. No fund manager has ever long-term outperformed the overall market. <laughs> no stock manager. No one is ever able to pick stocks and beat the stock markets on a long-term scale. So the best thing that you can do with your money, again, not financial tax or legal advice, <laughs> is buy the entire market. Go to, the reason we go to these stodgy institutions like Fidelity, like Schwab, like Vanguard, is because we want to stay away from that day trading stuff. Why? Because it's glittery, it's glammy, it's sexy, it's fun. It's gambling. It's gambling. Yeah. Yeah. And they make it so easy for us because they make so much money off of every single trade. Right. And we are already people who are <laughs> predisposed to like a little bit of gambling. The juice. Anyway, Get some of the juice. We love those rides. <laughs> we love riding those rides. Like we love that. And that's fine to keep that on the income side of the equation. But it makes it all the more important that our investing side is just really automatic and really safe. Right. We're going to ride the ride with the market. So Vanguard offers something called a Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. BTSAX is the ticker symbol, right? You buy shares of that and they have fractional shares. You can just put in like literally down to the penny of whatever you have in there, right? You transfer money from your checking account. This is exactly how you do it, right? You log into Vanguard. You say, I'm going to open up an IRA, right? All of these fancy names of accounts, IRAs, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401ks, 457s, 453s, all of that is just about how these are treated tax-wise. But you don't need to know any of that, right? All of those 401s, 403, 43s, all of those things are provided by your employer. You need to know two things. Are you paid on a W-2 or are you a 1099 worker? If you're paid on a W-2, you have access to something called an IRA. That's an individual retirement account. You open up that account at one of those institutions like Fidelity, Schwab, or Vanguard. A Roth IRA means that you are putting money in pre-tax, right? So, or sorry, an IRA is when you're putting money in pre-tax. 
And so Roth IRAs, the advantage to Roth IRAs is that you pull that money out and it comes out tax-free because you've already put the taxes, you've already paid the taxes on it when you put the money in. And just right? like the market always goes up, what else always goes up? Taxes. <laughs> oh, that's right. Taxes. So your so taxes will never be lower than they are now conceptually, right? They're right. always so going to go up. They'll be more expensive later. It's great if you're pulling your money out tax-free yeah. when so the taxes are higher. If you're a younger person, I cannot recommend a Roth IRA enough. It is so fun and so sexy. However, if you're somebody who's like, ooh, I need to stay under this income threshold because I get like some state subsidized health insurance, an IRA is deductible. A traditional IRA is deductible. So talk to your tax preparer if you have a tax preparer. And I totally recommend tax preparers. It's usually a few hundred dollars. They're worth their they're worth their weight in gold, a good mm. tax preparer, because they will help you with some of this planning and strategizing. Um, but so you go to Vanguard and you're like, hey, I'm going to open up a Roth IRA. Click that account. You're going to link it to your bank account. You're going to transfer money from your bank account into their what's called their money market account. That's sort of like the holding bucket. And then you have to buy the funds from the account within your, your Vanguard account. That's very important so you don't just have money sitting in Vanguard not being invested, right? There's It's a two-step process. Transfer the money into the money market account. Buy the investments from the money market account. Okay. Um, <laughs> And then, so you will enter your ticker symbol, which will be VTSAX, or there's a lot of really great options if you want to maybe follow the S&P 500, which is a list of the top 500 companies in the market right now. You can follow, you know, NASDAQ indexes if you're into tech stocks or whatever. But buy an index fund so that you're diversified, set it up automatically so that you're reinvesting every single month and forget it exists. Because you are investing for 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Mm. And you, well, the gambling approach is something you're just going to want to keep checking in and mm -hmm. trading in and out of. And, and do not. Behaviorally, th and this is the reason that no management company, no individual stock manager has ever long-term outperformed the market on its own is because behaviorally, we can't help ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we get in our own way. Preach. I, I, I feel so lucky as we're talking about this because – when I was 21, a college friend of mine who um, he got wise on financial investing very young. He had a he had a death in his family and it got him very conscious about the value of money and how to use money as a tool. He taught me this when I was 21 and he helped me set up my first ever um, index fund account and my first Roth IRA. And at the time, I'm like. This is not really doing anything, but this guy, I know he knows his stuff. I'm just going to kind of listen to him. And I did it on a whim, and I put $100 in each account. I opened up one index fund brokerage account. I opened one Roth IRA, put $100 in each month, and called it a day. And 18 months ago, I bought my first investment property with that money I got from the brokerage. Okay. Yeah. Now I've upped my totals that I was able to put in, and I, I contribute larger sums when I had some windfalls. But if I didn't make that decision at 21 to say, I'm going to open this. I'm not going to think about it again. It's going to be automatic out of my checking account the first of every month. And I'm going to commit to this. I would not be sitting here with some of the flexibility I have as a property owner. And Please. so if you're listening to this, do not waste another second. The sooner that you can access, you know, use these tools to your advantage, the better. I wish somebody would have told me earlier than that, right? Oh my God, I probably lost, I lost out on like, another four, four or five years where I could have juiced that fund even four more. Four or five so. years. If you're like me, I, 
I, I screwed up so badly. I went, I had lost decades, right? I mean, there's also going to be people who are listening right now who are like in their forties and fifties and who are hmm. just like, I haven't gotten started and I'm in debt, but you know what? It's never too late. Absolutely. It's never too late to get started. And the thing I love about some of those stodgy institutions like Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, they have a 1-800 number. You get overwhelmed. You don't know what you're doing. You want to make sure that you actually purchase the investment. You're like, I think I clicked it. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Is my account linked? Call that 1-800 number. Those reps on that. the phone are going to be like, yeah, you're good. You're in it. You're that, doing that's it. Really, you're investing. That's really helpful to know because having a person you can actually talk to to help navigate that those waters for you is so important. Um, just a heads up, I might have to go inside. There's a little bit of just a big cloud rolling in. We can keep going, but I might have to like stop because there's like lightning and stuff coming at me. Um, but it'll take me just you a couple. Not, oh. You have not done very much strategic planning today. Have well, you? it was just really nice it out, you know. Out yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. nice out. There's just a one kind of big cloud, but then after that, it's cleared up too. So, well, Michael, what a wonderful segue to us. Uh, just powering through this interview. I know we're talking about our financial forecast. I should have checked today's actual oh, weather forecast. That's low hanging fruit right there. All right. Well, you do I what you gotta do. It. You do what you gotta do. Barbara, um, as we're as we're talking about uh some of these other investments, do you recommend um, you know, beyond something like a Roth IRA, which we've talked about the benefits of brokerage accounts, index funds. Do you recommend any other, um, you know, kind of regular investment to make, whether this is disability insurance, whether this is life insurance, whether this is, I mean, we've talked about a little about the emergency fund. I know for me, my life insurance plan, you know, I started it just kind of again on a whim and it has actually been a great tool for me. I've used that to draw, um, uh, some emergency funds at times. So um, we're going we're yeah. to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. So I want to close the loop on the, if you're a W-2, then the first thing you're going to get yes. into is okay. an IRA, right? But let's say that you're a 1099 or let's say that you're paid off the books, right? Then what you have access to is a, you have access to a little more options. You can, if you're an independent contractor, then technically you're a business owner. And so if you're a business owner, you can have access to things like a solo 401k or a SEP IRA. And that gives you more room to have tax sheltered investments. And a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, you're only allowed to invest like $6,000. And I don't know what year the person who's listening to this is going to be listening to it in, but Google what year you're in and the tax limits for a Roth and traditional IRA. But there's limits around $6,000, $6,500. SEP IRAs, solo 401ks, you can put more money into those. That's tax sheltered. And so if you're an independent contractor or, you know, you're considered an employer, then you will have more optionality with those types of accounts. So again, that's talking to like either a, a fee only, fee only financial advisor or a tax professional who can help you kind of make those, those determinations. So an IRA is available to anybody. You don't need an employer to set that up. And then once an IRA is filled, like let's say you invest the full $6,000 into your IRA and you're like, I have more money to invest. What's next? Every single person who is earning income has access to an, a brokerage account. Now, a brokerage account is technically any account at a brokerage firm. That includes things like IRAs and whatever. But when we're talking about a brokerage account, what we're talking about is an after-tax investment account, right? There's no special tax treatment on this. 
that's a bummer that there's no advantages tax-wise. But the great part is that you can pull money out whenever you want. So when Steve was talking about pulling money from his brokerage account to be able to invest in real estate, that's the perk of not having any of the special tax treatment. The caveat also being that you have to pay income taxes on that. Um, but <laughs> Oh, I learned about those yes. in 2022. <laughs> so that kind of wraps up what we were talking about as far as investments. I really like people in our industry, again, with that, especially with that volatility on the income side, to stick to investments that are that have long track records. And that's things like real estate and the stock market. Things that are not investments, lottery tickets, your friend's new MLM business, right? Like, <laughs> oh, my friend's going to start this, you know, you know, this painting company and I'm going to invest 25. No, if you're not on track for retirement, you are not investing in somebody else's business. Do not do that. That is gambling. Why? Because you don't have a hundred years of painting experience and running the <laughs> painting business experience, right? The reason that real estate and a stock market are not gambling and all of these other things are gambling is probability, right? Mm. And with real estate and the stock market, the probability is that you're going to be really successful with it, right? There's a long-term track record that if you follow some basic rules, you can rely on it, right? And, and I love what you just said there. Let's get the foundation set, right? Let's make, let's, let's, let's get that nest egg really robust and strong. And then let's start thinking uh, about maybe some uh, more risky investments or risky is not the right word, but just uh, a little bit more creative and you yeah. can be a little bit more cavalier, but you need to get the foundations in place. Yeah. So, so uh, no, I was just going to ask, I'm sorry. I know we step on each other with these live recordings a little bit. Um, so I did want to ask too, just with the, with the budgeting, with the, when it comes to investing, is this something that you're, you still would recommend to people that you need to get your emergency funds set up? You need to, you know, get a budget going. You need to get your debt paid down before you start investing in some of these different things or, you know, how, how do you kind of view that? Yeah. Pulling money out of a tax benefit, like, a, you know, a, a, an account that has tax treatment to it is very expensive. Right. And there's penalties and fines and you have to pay income tax on it. So until you have that bucket of like emergency savings, I wouldn't start with any tax deferred investing. Right. Because if you have emergency, pulling that money out is going to be really expensive. You're going to lose a lot of the value of it. So, yeah, it's, it's OK to have some money that's not earning as much as the stock market. Right. On average, the stock market returns. 10%. Now factor in inflation, you may want to consider that to be 7% or 6% if you're being super conservative, right? And so maybe those high yield accounts are only earning 3 to 4% right now. And that's not as sexy, but you need to protect yourself because after the fees and penalties, it would be less than 3%, right? So cover your emergency fund first. Um, but if you wanted to start just putting five, $10 in there just so that you can build that habit, I think that's a great idea too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So since we're kind of wrapping up like the investing conversation, that's a great way for us to start to talk about risk mitigation, which is what insurance is. So like insurance should never be thought of as an investment. It's not an investment. It is there to protect you from losing your investments. It's there to protect your savings, to protect your house, to protect your other investments. That's what insurance is there for. Insurance is not an investment. And one of my biggest issues with financial services is that oftentimes insurance is sold as if it is an investment. Oh yeah. Because things like 
whole life insurance, universal, whole universal life, any, any of those buzzwords around insurance run for the hills. Because if you are not somebody who has millions of dollars and generational wealth, you have no business being sold insurance for life. What do you need insurance for life for? Your, your kids are going to be out of the house when they're, they're 18 and 20. When you pass, the only thing you need is money to cover for your funeral. Why would you need insurance for life? At some point, you should be able to self-insure and say like, okay, between what I have in my investment accounts and what I have in my savings, that can cover not only money I want to leave for a legacy, but that'll cover my expenses for my funeral. That'll cover for, and you should never have like, there's no reason to be insured for life. So anyway, that's my rant. I can go on a, <laughs> I can go on a long tirade. The about. passion <laughs> is palpable. I will tell you, and I, I, I know I appreciate it. Cause I do think that that is the first thing anybody hears when they, uh, when it comes to investing or when yeah. it comes to financial, uh, um, uh, you know, health, I think the first thing that we're ever introduced to is, hey, you should buy life insurance. No. Right? If you don't have dependents, there, it, there's no need, right? There's no need unless you're, is somebody reliant on your income? Yeah. If somebody is reliant on your income, cool, get a term policy for however long that person needs to be reliant on your income. Yep. Yep. So my, my whenever people are pitched whole insurance, I'm like, Okay, whatever that amount was that they told you the policy was going to be, buy term insurance and invest the rest. Like insurance companies don't have access to a different stock market. They have the same stock market that you have access to. So if they can offer you a product that guarantees the downside, that should tell you exactly how much in fees they have. It's because they've limited the upside. Yeah. Right? Now, I think as people in this industry, one of the things we have going for us is that we're pretty good at calling bullshit, but we also have imposter syndrome. And so we are like, oh, all these people know more about this than I do, right? I don't know. I need somebody else to take care of it. This guy's telling me that I need it. I think for most of us, we can smell when it's bullshit. But one of the things that I've done is I've spent a lot of time gut checking who's doing, who's telling me this information and what are they, what are they selling? And basically my whole book is me weeding out people that are selling stuff and finding the right people who are like, yeah, they're not selling anything. That's good advice. Right. So whole life insurance, universal life. No, get a term is, policy. Yeah. And beyond a, just a term life insurance policy, what are some better risk mitigation tools? Yeah. So the first would be a term life insurance policy, Right. Once you have that, because that if you have kids, you absolutely need to be protecting your income for your kids. The second one, health insurance. Mike, you said you don't have health insurance. I went over 10 years without health insurance, without dental insurance, without a dental checkup. So I've been there. I know what it's like. And it is, it's tough. It, insurance is expensive. You know, states have programs. There's creative ways to look for either out of pocket where you can just go get a wellness checkup. Um, one of the things I like is there's um, often labs that you can go to for out of pocket tests, right? You want to get your blood work ran. You want to make sure your levels are good, you know, go to a lab and see if they'll do an a la carte sort of test for you. Those are some creative ways to get around having health insurance until you can, you can get it. Yeah. But there's like community health, uh, 
places in our location where I can have that normal stuff done and at a, at a much better rate. Um, so there's also, and we, I think we don't talk about this enough as specifically restaurant service industry, um, employees. There are companies like freedom life that have made the decision to not insure the general public. They are only going to insure people under a certain age that are non-smokers, what they're going to do is they're going to cut their pool of potential um, uh, potential premiums, and they're only going to offer insurance to younger, healthier people, which a lot of times that's a lot of the people making up a bartender or a server. And you can get, um, you know, really good coverage um, for a lot cheaper. I know I was paying about 120 bucks a month for Blue Cross, Blue Shield, medical, dental and vision when I didn't have access to insurance. And that's an affordable amount. So there, there are resources. There are, there are specialized in, uh, health insurers out there that um, offer private plans that are affordable. Um, yeah. So the, the, the marketplace is all, the reason the marketplace is so expensive is because there's no exclusions, right? You, they cannot deny you for a pre-existing condition. Whereas when what you're talking about is called a health share. Right. And that is on the private side. And so if you find a broker in your state who can show you all of those companies and those policies that aren't part of the marketplace, right, then you're going to be held to a company that can make all sorts of exclusions. And so it's really important that you know what those exclusions are. Maybe those exclusions are if you have a history of cancer and they'll deny your coverage. And so, you know, maybe they won't cover fertility treatments or pregnancy or, you know, so if you are going to go off the health, if you are going to go off the marketplace, it's really important to understand exactly what those exclusions are because yes, they're much more cost effective, but there's a reason for that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and what, and what your needs are, you know, yeah. for, for somebody like, like myself, I, I maybe don't have all the considerations of somebody seeking some of this health coverage. So it's, it's hugely important as well. Um, so beyond you know, beyond the health insurance, are there any additional risk mitigation tools that uh, we need to be conscious of? Yeah. Um, I like to talk about disability insurance because as our own version of human capital, we are our income. And so if something happens to us, we don't have income, right? Unless we have savings, unless we have emergency funds, unless we have investments, unless we have other ways, if something happens to us physically on the job, then we don't have income. And so disability insurance is an option. Now, for me, it was never an option I took because I had a hard enough time putting some of these other policies in place mm -hmm. financially. But I want people to know all of their options because insurance, just like everything else with your, with your financial life, you have to take a layered approach. You're not going to turn your financial life around overnight. It's going to be little step by little step. And so if you know all of these options, you can make more informed decisions about what's right for you. Mm -hmm. And disability is is an option. For sure. I uh, I can't tell you how many amazing, amazing bartenders I've worked with that my heart still aches for them to watch them get to 45, 55, 65, and their knees are breaking down on them and their body's breaking down on them. Um, and these are, are things that incrementally they could have saved for. Or they, you know, and they just never had somebody take the time like Barbara to write this book or, or have the conversation with them. And that's what we're hoping, uh, you know, this recording can be in so, and you know, some of the other time that we're going to spend with you 
is to just introduce some of these concepts. And if somebody wants to go deeper, we have the book as a resource. And I know Barbara has been just so kind to offer, um, you know, uh, her time mm -hmm. uh, to, to some of our listeners as well. So we'll, we'll obviously give you guys more information about that. But, you know, if, if some of these things that we've talked about today even seem intimidating, take a deep breath and remember that this is a start, right? This is, th these are all tools to help you um, move your life forward in a financially healthy way and, and, and improve your mental health as well. Mm. And these are things that you can achieve and accomplish. Um, you just have to take it step by step. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to land the plane floors because I know that we have a few questions we want to ask you uh, before we get out of here. And I believe that you, you really should have the final word. I know Mike has been sitting there patciently with a bone to pick. Do you mind so, if I wrap up risk yes, mitigation please. before because I, I hand over to Mike? Yes, yes, please. So I know we talked about products as far as risk mitigation goes, right? How we can reduce our, our liabilities and protect our investments with these product-based risk mitigation strategies. But let's say we don't have the money for any of these policies. You may think like, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. But preventative care, I mean, is is just as important as these policies. So, you know, things like flossing, taking care of your, your teeth, drinking enough water, focusing on your health, getting good sleep, like the small little things, they really do matter. And they really do help you stay in this career a long time. You talk about being in your forties and fifties. If we are going to take this long-term approach to having a career in this industry, then we need to put boundaries in place. We need to be able to run a marathon, not just a sprint. And so some of these preventative measures like taking good care of our body and our mind and our community are really important. And they're largely free endeavors, right? Mm -hmm. Flossing is a free endeavor. Getting home and getting some rest is a free endeavor. Meditating is a free endeavor. And Stretching, so just getting some exercise. These, these are things that we can all do to, to, to try to invest in our, in our physical health and, and, and ourselves in this business as well. Yeah. And your mental health, all of this, even though we're, you know, it all wraps into one, you know, it all wraps into just you living the life that you want to live. And there's so many things you can do to incrementally just start building towards that. And it, it does take discipline. It takes time, but I think having some knowledge and background and some tools at your disposal can help that process so much. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking a little bit about that because there's stuff in the book that, like I said, anybody could read this book if they are interested in their financial uh, future. But I love that it's so tailored to the to the service industry. And uh, I really hope any of the listeners who are interested in this, please get her book because it was it was enjoyable to read too. You're it's you're, it's you're a good writer. You're, yeah, well, and you're funny, and it's it's very it's it's very in your face, and I, I it was enjoyable. It wasn't dry and boring. It was it was a good it was a good read. So thank you. Now about that bone. So no. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> additionally, one of the things I love so much, I really appreciate you coming on and doing the other show with us. Because like I said, when I was reading through here, I, some of these different stories like Lucky's and stuff is mentioned in here. I was like, oh, I we know all about the fingernail boat at Lucky's. Like that was just, it was kind of uh, cool to see from this Forbes accredited I was trying to book. repress that memory, <clears throat> but okay. <laughs> but from this book that's listed in Forbes to kind of get like, oh, I know some secret little stuff that happened, you know, you know, in the, in the pages of this between the lines here so you you told some great stories i have to ask 
I don't think you told this one. What about kicking the guy in the face with the stiletto and opening him up? I why didn't you share that with us? I need to hear this if you're willing to share that. I know this is your book episode, but when I saw that, I was like, why didn't we get that? Well, we story? have to tease the book content too. And <laughs> and if, if you're gonna save all the juicy stories for the book, we have to we're a little offended, Barbara. I mean, we <laughs> laid out the gauntlet there, you know. Guys, this is a bartender's podcast. If you wanted stripper content, you should have asked for that. Uh, <laughs> we, we actually so we, we didn't actually ask the right questions, Mike. Well, we well, fair enough. We actually do want to interview that side of the industry as well so maybe that's the tease that maybe if you uh, have some find some time here in the coming weeks or months in your busy schedule we could have you on to run the gauntlet again but this time from a stripper point of view or even uh you know some of the other uh kind of the fetish, the fetish like, performers and stuff. stuff yeah you want to get into that we'd be happy so i can i can let you off the hook for that one we'll just tease the audience to come back and listen listen again mike, so mike it's it's our shortcomings we didn't ask the right questions that's what i know well and i appreciate you too kind of holding steve and i's hand and walking us through this uh another question i know we're kind of getting wrapped up so stop me if i'm if i'm jumping ahead i would love for you at some point to plug because you this is fit you've done 52 podcasts right yeah. about the book if there are any in particular that um the the host did a really good job of walking you know you through all of this right. that you would mike recommend a, for people mike yeah. makes a great point we're not financial experts and and i yeah. and i hope we're you know i've really enjoyed this conversation but uh you you have put so much effort into mastering some of these things these concepts and and uh we want to do the book justice and this conversation justice so is there any other platform that you'd um, that you've been on that you'd like to promote uh, where you really felt the conversation um, was accessible for people or just maybe another resource financially that tipped employees would would benefit from? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, I've listened to hundreds of podcasts over the years, and so there's there's no other financial podcast for the service industry, but even just listening to people's stories over and over again gives you information, even if it's not in your industry, even if it's not related. So like in the back of the book, I have something called last call and that's an encouragement for people to do some additional, you know, what I call financial maintenance, additional financial learning. And some of the podcasts that I list in there, are some of my favorites, it's like so money by Farnoosh Jarabi afford anything by Paula Pant. And, and the great thing about podcasts is that you can find hosts that are tailored to, you know, maybe your own bend, like people who are in your state, or if you are identified of a minority group, whether you're LGBTQ or you've been in the military, or you really like the idea of being frugal, like anything that is a little bit more nuanced than just finances, you can find somebody who's talking to that audience outside of our industry, right? Yeah. Um, but you can have a little bit more of that nuanced, right? If you are somebody who's a person of color or you have, you know, a disability, like there are podcasts about finances on all of those topics. If you're a family, if you have a family, if you're a person of faith, if you are, you know, I don't know, big into couponing, like you will yeah. find those specific resources. So this beckons the question, when is the tipped finance dedicated weekly podcast coming? Because go. I mean, if there's nothing out there for people on a regular basis talking to this industry, um, maybe maybe that's the next uh, imposter syndrome hurdle that is calling you. Um, I don't know. I'm just. Or maybe you guys have a bonus episode every month where you have a bartender come on and talk about their finances. Okay, 
and we actually do a workshop that now see that has legs where we uh, we see if maybe one of our recent monthly guests wants to workshop a particular issue that they're struggling with. And you can kind of come on and coach them through it or um, uh, j- just unpack it a little bit. That or you know what they should, your Patreons or whoever your, your audience should let you know, maybe we have a summit where we do like a workshop. Like we all go to this place and we gather and talk and do it. I love practical application conceptually. <laughs> It's fun to read about these things, but I love practical application because I do love the instant. I love the instant gratification, whether I'm not, I'm investing long-term or not. I like to see action, you know? And so uh, I think that actually does have, have some wonderful legs for our show and what you're trying to accomplish in helping people in this industry. Did you guys just go to the bartender expo in Vegas? No, the, I was at uh, Con Expo, which is a construction for the company that I work for. Okay. So we're we're trying to go back to Vegas in November. Uh, we for... took our own little bar crawl. We like invaded Vegas for a weekend, but um, no, we're 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 trying to take some formal steps to be out there and and um, interact a little bit more uh, with this industry. Um, not to cut you off, Mike, but. Uh, look, we have unpacked so many different things today, and there's a lot more we could talk about. I know we'd love to have you back on to specifically talk about tipping, right? Yeah. That that is its own hour long discussion, at least. Um, but if there's one thing before we wrap up here that you want people to kind of take away from today, maybe just like a top of mind item, um, you know, a good place for them to start. Is there anything that that you really want them to focus in on of all the things that we've talked about today? Yeah. We, we haven't had a chance to touch much on mindset. And so I don't think we, we, we want to get into all of that, but there's a really great chapter on mindset and how, how we can use that to our advantage. Um, but the last thing I want to close on is what, again, what I think is the most important financial product that everyone needs to have, and that's their emergency fund. I cannot stress it enough. It literally is life-changing. It will change how you show up in this job. It'll change the way that you work. It'll change the way that you interact with your management, your coworkers, your family members, your friends. It, it, it will change every aspect of your life once you have that three to six month savings. It'll change whether you take opportunities. It'll change every aspect of your life. I, I don't say that lightly. And so I, I would like to leave a fun tip on how people can start building that emergency fund in a way that's maybe a little more playful and fun. Let's say that you're at a bar. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like every bar is like the comment section in a Facebook post. It's ridiculous, but I always like to find two seats. Let's say you have, let's say you have a 10 top bar or 15 top bar, take two seats. And those two seats are your emergency fund saving section. That's, right? that's interesting. That is fun. I love do you, this. Do you tell the guest this? It's like, oh, <laughs> if you're tipping well, this is going to my emergency fund. Or or like when when the guy that only orders two Millers and leaves exact change comes in, you're like, no, 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 not right there. That's the, <laughs> that's the emergency fund seating section. Honestly, I treat those people so much better than everybody else. <laughs> you want great service, make sure you're sitting in the emergency fund seating section. But it's a way to gamify it. It's a way to like make it a little bit more I fun. Like that. those are the people that are going to be help. They're going to bridge me to my future you. And then once your emergency fund is saved, that section can become your investing section. Or yeah. for instance, like your really shitty tips. I love to take my really shitty tips and put those in my investment account. Because guess huh. what? You don't want to give me 20%, I'll make it 20%. Nice. I'll I love that. Earn 20%, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So there's all these little, these little mental tricks and games that we can play to kind of like get our financial ducks in a row, but have it in a, in a way that's a little more playful and fun and honors the industry that we got into. Yeah. We got yeah. into this industry because we like to have fun. We like to engage and that's, that's just a fun way to do it. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm closing the bar tonight. Like when we wrap up this pod, like I'm going in. Okay. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a moment where there's going to be a little lull in the action and I'm just going to catch myself staring at a group of regulars <laughs> and they're going to catch my gaze. And I'm just going to be, you know, they're going to be like, wow, you're what, why are you looking at us like that? And I'm just going to say, you're so beautiful. You're just <laughs> so beautiful. You don't even understand what you mean to me. You guys are in the EF section. It's my yes. favorite section. <laughs> uh, this has been a ton of fun, Barbara, and I cannot wait to do it again. Thank you again for coming on with us. And uh, I hope we didn't, uh, I hope we didn't trample you too much with, with interruptions and getting off course. It's, this is um, obviously so much to unpack. We, we we think our listeners are really going to enjoy this and, and love your book as well. So, uh, Tell them where they can get it um, and, and how they can uh, get in contact with you. And and let's definitely work on getting you yeah. on again to talk about mindset change, about tipping, um, and, and how we're investing those things. And, and how you kick that guy in the face with the stiletto. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. And also, yeah, give us your social handles, too, because I like uh, uh, just following you on Instagram, like just the little updates and stuff. You were talking the other day uh, about tax season and considering filing as a business if you're a server and stuff like that so um I, I think it's i think it's cool that you continue to provide just little updates that people that can be useful to people so oh yeah thank you for mentioning that um socials i'm at tipped finance on all the socials um i post a little on tiktok a little on twitter i'm mostly hanging out on instagram because i think you know, it's just more, it's more fun for me there. Um, I like to make memes, <laughs> financial memes. And so yes, like, I've, seen, I've seen them. <laughs> I, I, I also do a little bit of stand up here in New York City. So I like to make I've real seen that. stand up. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause I've seen you doing that. I've seen it on your Instagram and we've not touched on that at all. Would you mind just I giving us a little bit? Yeah. 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 So I, um, I do speaking gigs. So, you know, if uh, let me, let me finish up my, my little, my apologies, yeah. no, no, it's a, it's a great lead in. So like, you can find me at tip finance on the socials. You can find me on my website, which is tipfinance.com. What you can find there is you can reach out to me. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So if anyone's listening, it's like, I want someone to hold my hand while I'm calling Vanguard. I do $30 for a 30 minute call. Sure. Right. I also do an annual membership where every month we can get together and we can dream big. And we can reverse engineer some of those goals and we can break them up and figure out how to make things happen for you. You know, like I said, I'm not a financial or tax advisor, but I am a great accountability buddy. And I do have a lot of information and mm -hmm. tricks and fun games for us to be able to like turn your, turn your financial life around, make it, awesome. make it more fun. So the one-on-one -on -one coaching, I also do speaking gigs. So I just gave a Ted style talk to over 500 financial, um, experts teaching them how they're neglecting our industry and how they can be better at their jobs by including us and how they can do that how they oh, I bet that was I bet that was a nice moment for you <laughs> it really was <laughs> <laughs> but I also give one-on-one -on -one, I also give talks at bars clubs and restaurants so if you own a bar own a club own a restaurant want me to come and talk to your staff 
it's a great way to show your employees that you care about their financial lives and that you're you're there for them, right? That's like a way that you can hire out a miniature version of HR for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, in preparation for getting ready for my speaking gigs, I decided to do stand-up because I was like, I need to get more comfortable on stage. If you know and what about- better way than to be 100% vulnerable in front of strangers, <laughs> yes. right? Than to do stand-up. Uh, I, I love... You, you're the type of person I'm starting to realize that um, when they have a challenge in life, they don't dip their toe in the pool. It's like, we're going to go cliff diving into, this, <laughs> into like the shallow end. It's crazy. You are, you are a, a, a renegade, very, very um, courageous in the way that you run into the challenges. And I, I really think- admi- admire that about you. Thank you. I think standup's really interesting because it feels like bartending, but you get paid less. <laughs> not is, that, is, that, is that one not of your bits? That's one of your bits, isn't it? <laughs> no, not yet, but it, it will be. Yes. <laughs> but it's so true. Like you're st- you're entertaining just as many people as you would as a, at a bar. Mm. You're just not getting the tips. And so, you have a tip bucket up there at the edge of the stage or anything? Uh, I pitch my book. Yeah, there, there you go. There it is. Yes. Yeah. It's a, look, always a marketing tool. Always another way to squeeze the juice out of it. Uh, well, this has been a ton of fun, Barbara. Thank you again. Guys, please support her. Uh, get on Amazon, uh, which I do believe your book is listed on there yeah. now, right? Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I totally failed to mention where you can find the book. Yes. Find it. <laughs> Thank you, Steve, for being the professional. No problem. No problem. Paperback, hardcover, Kindle version. Yes, it's all there yeah. on Amazon. Just yeah. type in tipped, tipped or tipped book. And actually, there's a subtitle. It's tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. That's right. Um, if you're in one of those groups, you know that we have a lot of love for you. Keep coming back and enjoying the show and uh, make sure if you haven't yet, take a step back and listen to uh, Barbara's first appearance with us. It was uh, it was quite an episode, quite a walk through the gauntlet. No, we're going to have her on again. Thank you so much. And uh, I will not say F- fuck off today. I will say uh, fail forward, guys. <laughs> I love it. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, Barflies. Before you hit that skip button, listen up. If you couldn't tell from the episode how much Barbara loves the service industry, here's a little bit more proof in the pudding for you. Barbara has offered three of her books to the next three people who subscribe to our Patreon. So it's a $15 value if you just go and buy it from Amazon. If you subscribe to our Patreon... You get that book for free if you're one of the first three subscribers after this episode. Not only that, but Barbara has also offered that after within the month of this uh, release for this episode, anyone who subscribes to the Patreon is going to get a free 15-minute money call with Barbara herself. That's right. You're going to actually have the chance to listen and speak with a Forbes-ranked author on personal finance. Uh, please take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, You can subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, The links are in our episode descriptions. You can find it on our Instagram. Uh, But please take advantage of this. I would recommend this book for anyone who is interested in uh, getting a better handle on their personal finance. But especially if you are a service industry professional, please consider taking a look at this book. Um, it It is such a incredible tool and resource for you. To be able to take what you're already doing with your life and turn it into a better situation, a better future for yourself. So please take advantage of that. We had so much fun having Barbara on. Later this week, we're going to have her back on to really do a deep dive into her book 
and talk about the different financial tools that she lays out in that book to help you get, again, a better handle on your financial situation and plan for the future. So please do not miss out on that. It, it literally could change your life. And we are so grateful to Barbara for being a part of this and making time for us. Um, so thank you again, Barbara. It was incredible. Um, also, we do appreciate you guys listening along. As always, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We release new episodes whenever we can, obviously. And as always, a big shout out to our friends at Trauma Parlor, whose song Fast One you heard throughout the show. Please go check them out on, there on Facebook, Spotify. We've got the links on our profile. Uh, they just got some really cool music, and uh, please go show them some love. And if you want to be one of our regulars, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Snapchat at BRP Drink Along. You can listen along anywhere that you get your podcast just by searching the Bartender Ramp Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. If you can do that for us, it really does help us grow the show, reach new listeners, and just grow our following. The more the ratings and reviews, the faster we're going to climb the charts, and obviously we need the personal validation. Uh, don't forget, if you are on Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist. We've got some cool playlists on there uh, just for some different listening stuff. But most importantly, we've got the BRP Industry Night playlist, which each guest that we have on the show gets to add three songs to. So if you really resonated with one of the uh, different guests we had on, go check out the playlist and see what kind of music they're into. Uh, additionally, if you want some kick-ass merch, you can check out our swag courtesy of Campo Design Company at prodigydtg backslash, uh, or par- excuse me, par- prodigydtg.com backslash bartender rant. Also, if you go to our Instagram or our show description, you can find those links as well. And if you just want to hang out with Steve and me, join us on the first Monday of every month for our virtual industry night happy hour. Have some drinks, meet some fellow barflies, listen to guest bartender playlist, and tell Steve and I how much we suck at podcasting, especially Steve, because he was supposed to record this outro and fucked it all up. So I'm having to record it at the end of the night here. So thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. You did that that one thing I asked you to do. You couldn't even do that right. All right. I love you. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media, especially Instagram, if you want those links. Uh, like Again, it's just every uh, the first Monday of every month. We're just going to get together and hang out. Uh, please come and join us. It's always a lot of fun. And if you want to be one of our VIP listeners, please subscribe to the Bartender Rant podcast on Patreon. You're always going to have a seat at the bar and get access to cool stuff like this with uh, Tipped. Uh, you're going to get access to cool um, you know, content and cool opportunities that the other listeners are missing out on, quite frankly. Um, we have uh, bonus content as well, like the Boilermaker Tapes, Ranch vs. Blue Cheese Crank Calls, special releases, and a lot more. Um, and if you just want to be a tipper, or one of our big tippers, aka one of our Bozells, you can also just leave us a tip on PayPal uh, by sending it to the Podcast at gmail.com. So if you join our Patreon, or if you send us a tip, you're going to also get your name listed on one of the episodes as um, our one of our Bozells, one of our VIPs. It's just a fun way to show that you're supporting the channel and uh, get your name on an episode, which, hey, that's kind of cool, right? You know, you're, you're a producer. Uh, right now, we've got some awesome Bozells. We've got Chandler from a Herd Card Game, such a baddie. We've got Leah Grace. And Leah, oh my God, if you're listening right now, I'm so sorry that I couldn't remember you at the beginning of the episode. The only reason is, is because Leah has gone above and beyond, and she is she's done more for us than just join our Patreon. So that's why I, I mix that up. But Leah, thank you so much for your support. Ray, as always, you mystery benefactor. I kind of hope it just stays that way. And uh, Javier, of course. Love Javier. Can't wait to go see him again in Vegas. 
And then my dad. Hey, thanks, dad. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you listening along to the episodes. I hope you're proud. <laughs> uh, look, Steve and I do this because truly we love the service industry. We love the people in the service industry. And we just want to bring you guys great content. Of course, this is not our day job yet. With your help, we can keep the stories coming and interview local bartenders from coast to coast. And as always, don't just listen along, drink along. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcoholism or substance abuse, please contact SAMHSA's National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Their National Helpline is free, confidential, 24-7, and 365 days a year. Look, we love you guys, we really appreciate listening along, but more than anything, we want you to stick around. And you can't do that if you're not taking care of yourself. So if you do need some help, please reach out to the International Helpline. If you're an international listener, please just get online and find a helpline or a help center near you. And as always, Steve and I are happy to talk to anyone. If you you need just somebody to, to talk to or vent to, we're happy to be there for you. We can't offer you any professional help, but we really do appreciate you guys being a part of this podcast and we want you to stick around and Steve and I are happy to help in any way that we can to make sure that that happens. So thanks again, guys. We love you and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, Barbara. Hi. Um, I actually think that was me, guys. Okay. Um, I'm switched over onto my laptop because my computer. Oh no, now it's fucking work. <laughs> Fuck you. Seriously. <laughs> Mike, um, leave all this in, okay? <laughs> it's the only uh it's it's probably the only evidence that we've ever done 50 plus episodes that it's not only us. You know what I mean? Solidarity. I mean Barbara. 52. I'm 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 right there with you, and it's still my shit's still not clean. Um, we, right. We've got a motto for our show, uh, bad audio quality content. So it, it wouldn't be a BRP recording if we didn't have some technical issues. Yes. <laughs>